Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. It's great to be back with you on the podcast. My apologies for no podcast. Last week we did a different kind of sermon where it was really kind of a dialogue sermon with another person. So, uh, But I'm back this week and I'm looking forward to sharing a few thoughts with you. We'll be looking at a passage from the book of Romans today. This is Romans 12 verses 9 through 21. So hear these words. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not overcome. Do not be over. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May God's blessing be on the reading and hearing and living out of this word. So I can't remember who pointed this article out to me. But the New York Times ran a story a few months ago about the benefits of the two-minute cold shower. Now, you might wonder, how in the world could a two-minute cold shower be beneficial? And you would be correct to also wonder why or how would anyone study this. But study it, they have. The author of the piece, Carl Richards, went online and found a smattering of academic papers about the benefits of cold water therapy. That includes weight loss stimulation, increased blood circulation, and stress reduction. But Richards, who admits to doing this every day, taking this two-minute cold shower, he says he doesn't do it because of the health benefits. He does it because, well, it's really hard to do. He writes this, The point is that starting your morning by tackling challenges head-on will help encourage similar behavior throughout the day. And it turns out there's a wealth of research to back this idea up. People who do hard things first tend to procrastinate less and get more done. It's an interesting insight. He doesn't avoid hard things. He commits to them. He believes, and others have apparently concurred, that he actually benefits because of it. That's what I want to focus on today in this podcast as we come to the end of our sermon series here at our church called Adulting Faith, where we have reflected on what it means to have a more mature faith, especially when it comes to making commitments. We've talked about committing to God, about committing to community, about committing to spiritual practices, and today, we're looking, at the com- we're looking at committing to the challenge of faith, committing to intentionally stretching ourselves by doing something radical, that is, actually doing and living out the things that Jesus said we should do. Now, this may seem a little counter to what we perceive Christianity to be. For many of us, the faith is an escape, a way to deal with the stressful, unpredictable, sometimes evil world. We run to Jesus like we would run to comfort food or a spa day or a peaceful piece of music. Take me away from the craziness, Jesus. 
and doing all of these things or having those thoughts, feeling that pull is not all bad. I mean, after all, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all that you are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. But if we're serious about committing to Jesus, we can't ignore other things he says that make us uncomfortable, that his followers pick up on and emphasize. We see that in the passage today from Romans. Now, another reminder about what Romans is. This is a letter written by a man named Paul, written around 58 AD to a new faith community in, as you might guess, Rome. Now, Paul was not an in-the-flesh disciple of Jesus, but he had a transformative experience of the resurrected Christ, which totally turned his life around. Part of that transformation included starting new faith communities and sending people out to start other new faith communities. In fact, scholars believe that Paul met a couple, a husband and wife, named Aquila and Prisca in the city of Corinth and sent them off to start a new faith community in Rome. And that they're the ones who really started this church that Paul is writing to today. So Paul wrote letters to these new faith communities. And here we read in this letter from Romans is a list of behaviors that are expected from what's sometimes called the marks of the true Christian. Paul is doing his best to try to give how-tos to to these new followers of Jesus. And in the first few verses, you can imagine that people are hearing these instructions and maybe nodding their heads. So, for example, they hear, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope. People are nodding their heads saying, yes, I'm following this. That makes sense. I think I can do that. But then in verse 14, there's a bit of a transition and things now get a little tricky. We read, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Now, for those who are hearing it, this probably goes against what some of them may have learned, even from their own faith lives. We were taught that people who cursed us, who sought evil for us, that they should be cursed in turn. That makes no sense. Why would you bless someone who persecutes you? And then another one, it goes on, it says, do not repay evil for evil. It says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. This is actually this is from a passage from Proverbs. And then finally, it says, overcome evil with good. So all of these things, on the one hand, make very little sense. But doing these things is inspired by the life and words of Jesus. And that's part of the deal, too. It's tempting to steer clear of doing these things that will be really difficult, really challenging, better to do and focus on those things that make us feel good, that we can accomplish. Again, there's nothing wrong with focusing on those things that make us feel good and that we can accomplish, but I think we are asked and challenged, both by Jesus and here by Paul, to stretch ourselves and to think about what would it mean to do things that really take us out of our comfort zone. And then not only that, but then to commit to those practices, to commit to doing those things, to commit to living your life that stretches yourself. What does that mean? A few years ago, I read a book called The Year of Living Biblically, One Man's Humble Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible by an author named A.J. Jacobs. Jacobs has written 
other books where he, in a sense, takes on a task that is going to stretch him. So before he wrote The Year of Living Biblically, he wrote a book where that followed, it was called Mr. Know-It-All, and it followed him reading literally the Encyclopedia Britannica A through Z and what that was like and all the things that he learned. So here he was, he had a former, a family member who had started to really take the Bible seriously and was doing these things. He was Jewish. He started doing these things that kind of made no sense to him, but then he had kind of an aha moment. So he decided to do the same thing, to follow the Bible as literally as possible. And he said in the book, and if he's honest with himself, because the Bible says you shall not lie, he did it because it was a book idea. But he also did it because he wanted to explore the spiritual world, and he also wanted to explore the topic of biblical literalism. So before he took on this task, he had a lot of things he had to decide. So what version of the Bible? And so he had to go through and make decisions about that. And then when he was done, he sat down and took notes on all the different things that the Bible says to do. And when he was done with it, it said he came up with 700 rules. And that's when he sat back and realized this is going to be a pretty daunting task. He said, all aspects, or he wrote, all aspects of my life will be affected. The way I talk, walk, eat, bathe, dress, and even hug my wife. All of these things will affect his life for the next year. Now, on the one hand, of course, he notes that many of the rules will be good. Don't lie, love your neighbor. But then he also noted that some were strange and may cause alienation from others. So, for example, he has to bathe after having sex that he can't eat fruit from a tree planted less than five years ago. These are all laws in the Bible. And so as he sat down and thought about, this is really going to have a huge impact, sometimes even perhaps a negative impact on my life and on my relationships with others. Do I want to do this? And so he decides that he will to write the book, but then also to see what might happen in the process. And when it's done, after he takes this year you know, it would make for a great story. He's a totally transformed. He's a very much a practicing Jew, but it's not quite it. But he does note that he has changed because of it. And he does certain things. Like, for example, he's big on expressing gratitude. He's big on giving gratitude now. He's big on taking Sabbath. That's a good little lead into our next sermon series about taking Sabbath, about resting. So in a way, his life is changed because he stretched himself, because he committed to things that on the face make little to no sense. And yet he took it on. Followers of Jesus are called to do things, to commit to things that are countercultural. Followers of Jesus, if they're serious about following, cannot escape the fact that Jesus asks us to consistently do things that stretch us, that do not always bring us warm, fuzzy feelings. That is part of of living into a mature faith. Now, I think and believe we are not asked to do these things just arbitrarily. That We are not given these tasks to follow Jesus just because Jesus was on a big power trip and he wanted to see how many followers he could have. And he didn't do it just so that he could go on a, a big power trip. Jesus asked his followers and asks for us today to do these things, to take on these things that are, will stretch us, because this will bring about, bring about transformation, transformation of individuals, transformation of the world. Transformation happens when people start doing crazy things like feeding enemies and overcoming evil with good 
and blessing those who persecute you. Earlier in this chapter in Romans, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We present ourselves ready to make sacrifices as living sacrifices. That we do not conform to the ways of the world to make things always easier for ourselves, but instead we follow in a path that will be challenging. We commit to this path so that we can be transformed and so that we can be transformers too. So I'd invite you, after listening to this, to go back to that passage from Romans, Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. What in that list challenges you? And I invite you to look at one of those things from that passage and choose just one thing and commit to it for a time. Because you know it's going to be really hard, and yet you know by committing to it, transformation will take place. So look at that passage again. What will be the thing that will be most challenging, or at least will be challenging for you? Verse 9, let love be genuine. Verse 11, do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Persevere in prayer. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Never avenge yourselves, verse 19. Verse 20, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Which will be the thing that will stretch you the most? I believe we are called to live into a mature faith is to begin to commit to that and try it for a time. So for me, I've been trying to do this in an own, in a way too. I don't know if it exactly fits. It's, it's, I don't think I'm stretching anything, but it, it fits some of these passages. And that is that I sometimes will avoid either conversations or even disagreements, arguments with people with whom I disagree theologically. I think there are times when I feel like, well, I'm not sure I know enough I don't want to be embarrassed. Even though I believe in these things wholeheartedly, there's a part of me too that kind of strays away from conflict in that. So I just avoid uh, engaging in these conversations. And what happens when I do that too is then I begin to shut myself off and I don't open myself to what could be really healthy exchanges. And it also keeps my vision of the kingdom of God particularly narrow. If I'm only engaging with people that I know I'm going to agree with or who will agree with me, that is not stretching at all. So, in other words, to say that uh, I am going to be spending time with enemies is a bit strong. I don't think that the people with whom I disagree are enemies per se, but it does make me uncomfortable. So, 
Two, three months ago, a pastor in our neighborhood invited other clergy to commit or to gather in prayer for the neighborhood. Now, you would think on the face of it, this would be a great thing to do, that I would take time for this. But the request came from a person who belongs to pastors of church that I know the church and I have a feeling and know that it's more, it has a different theological perspective than what I do, what our church has. And so those feelings of either that feeling of, well, they're wrong on this issue, or this feeling of, well, they're probably going to judge me, or this feeling, I don't want to get into this big debate. So there's that gut feeling of just avoiding and not engaging with him at all. But instead, I've decided to commit to this. And so I met and went for the first time last month, and we had a conversation And then as we were gathered together, it turned out it was just the two of us. Nobody else showed up. And so he said, well, let's pray for one another. And so we did. And transformation began to happen within me. I so appreciated the prayer that he said for me and for our church. We didn't get into a big theological debate. I think we probably both knew that we're on different sides of the spectrum. And maybe eventually we'll get into that or at least have that conversation too. But it was something that initially made me uncomfortable, but I'm going to commit to it and do it because I think it's going to give me a broader picture of who God is wanting me to be in relationship, a broader perspective perhaps of how God is going to be working in our city. I think sometimes we believe that only God that God will only be working through people again with that we agree with. And so I'm committing to this, and it won't always be easy. I will go with some trepidation every time I go, too, because I'm, I'm fearful that someone will ask me what I believe about a certain thing, and I will come up short. But that's part of this whole process, and it forces me then to fully depend on God in those moments, too. So by making myself uncomfortable, it then forces me to say, I'm trusting you, God. I'm trusting you. In the very end of, or I should say at the beginning of, in the book, for A.J. Jacobs' book about living a year uh, following the Bible, he shares a story that a rabbi told him that comes from the Midrash. These are interpretations of stories, expansions of the stories that they read in the Hebrew scriptures. And the story goes that, that really... The, the story that we read in Exodus of Moses parting the Red Sea, that that's not really how it went. But instead, there was, when Moses put his staff down for the sea to separate, nothing happened. And instead, an individual came up and said to Moses, we have to get into the water first and start walking into it. And that's what the individual does. He's just walking into the sea, nothing happens. And it isn't until he's up into his face and nose, and that's when the sea parts. He has to go and stretch himself in that way in order to fully trust in God and to fully be transformed and to get a sense of what God is doing in the midst of this by committing to doing something that will make him uncomfortable that will scare him, that will make him anxious. By doing those things, we place our trust and faith in God, and we also commit and stretch ourselves so that we will be transformed and that others might be transformed too. What makes you uncomfortable?
and by, and I should say a healthy discomfort that you know that this is a good thing. I struggle with it a little bit, but by trusting and putting my faith in God, I will be able to do this. Look at that passage again from Romans and pray and ask God, what is the thing that God is calling me to be about? And then ask God for the strength to commit to that and see what happens in your own life. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening today to this podcast. I hope all is well with you as we head into fall and this busy time of the year for some. As you stretch yourselves, know that the grace and strength of God will be with you always. And may you respond with faith and trust in that relationship too. We'll talk to you next week. May the peace of Christ be yours. And thou, my 